0: All right, well, we continue on in the book of 1 Samuel. Hopefully, you guys have been enjoying this journey through 1 Samuel. We are uh, over two-thirds, or right at two-thirds of the way through this, and uh, God continues to teach us. Tonight, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And unlike last week, where we had 42 verses to wade through, we've got 15 verses tonight. So this will be a little bit shorter, but just as powerful. And we're talking about running scared. That's the theme for tonight. You see, David, he uh, is running from Saul, which is a major theme in this book. The second half of this book is uh, primarily made up of that theme that Saul is the king, and he knows he's not going to be king forever, and God has made that clear, and a young guy who is better than him is going to be king, and so Uh, Big picture wise, it shows us all that we uh, we are the lesser king in our own lives, that there is a better king. Jesus is that king. And so tonight we're going to talk about David running from Saul and David obviously running from Saul because he is going to be killed (laughs) by Saul. or So he thinks um, that that's that's the, the physical painting of this chapter. But why is David really running from Saul? And as much as we love to lift up David to talk about how amazing he is, and certainly scripture affirms that, uh, he was also a man who was flawed, we know, with murder and adultery. We know he had issues. He took a census because his own pride wanted to see how big his kingdom was, and God condemned him for that. There were, there were other issues in his life, and so tonight we see uh, that he struggled. He struggled because he feared man. He feared what other uh, people were going to do to him, and he struggled with God's promises, and God's plan for His life. He had some deep-rooted issues uh, that that come out tonight. And so we're going to dig in a little bit and explore that. Now I know right off the bat, most of us are not uh, physically running for our lives. Hopefully we're not. Uh, if we are, then let's let's talk. Let's have let's have a conversation. But um, I think a lot of ways. You and I are familiar with running scared we We run from god's will, God's plan. we run from our identity in Christ. We have these beautiful truths and scriptures that most of us are aware of. If not, we'll be talking about those tonight, so don't worry and And we run from them We run from them because they're spiritual and they're unseen, and yet we believe they're realities and yet because they're so oftentimes not tangible. We, we exchange them for the things around us, the people around us that are tangible. And so I think that, um, that all of us, uh, we struggle. I mean, let me just, Let me just get everyone on board <laughs> with this because I know to some degree you'll say, well, I don't know that I really struggle that much with fearing man or my identity in Christ. Listen, how many of you all, how many of you are people pleasers? Like, you just, you can't say no. You find most of your schedule is busy, not with the things that you really want to do, or even maybe called to do, but the things you just couldn't say no to. If you are a people pleaser, at the root, you fear man. You fear uh, condemnation. You fear your reputation. You fear what they're going to think, how they're going to judge you. You fear uh, confrontation. You fear man. Uh, What about, decision-making. How many of us find that our lives are marked by bad decisions that we know don't gel with our faith, and we know uh, sometimes it's glaringly just obvious, other times it's subtle, but we know, man, this is not God's will for me, but we just, uh, regarding work and relationships, and you fill in the blank, we know we're making bad choices, but we're just, we just keep making them anyway. Ultimately, uh, that's an identity in Christ issue. That's a, is Jesus really enough for me issue? And so I don't think that we're as different from David uh, as we realize in here. And when it comes to baggage, when it comes to junk, I know that the outside world might look at the church and say, well, they just don't claim to have any junk at all. And so when we show junk, we're we're hypocritical. Uh, But we know, we know inside Um, We know that we all got junk the the question for you is whether you're going to embrace Healing in christ or whether you are going to hide the hurt And I think a lot of us go years and years and years uh, With junk that never gets resolved because there's a huge difference regardless of what you struggle with deep down There's a huge difference between letting the pain dissipate and actually letting it be healed by the cross And so hopefully tonight you find a little bit of healing but ask yourself the question as we walk through this What am I running from? Uh, maybe this is just an obedience issue. You know, God's asking you to do something, and you just you just don't want to do it. Maybe it's an identity issue. Uh, you struggle with who He says you are compared to what, <laughs> what you feel, um, what you experience. It could be a variety of things. But what are you running scared from? So let's jump in. Chapter twenty-one, verses one and two. It says, "And then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. So." Right off the bat, uh, if you remember last chapter, it was that big long conversation uh, with Jonathan and David, and they realized Saul, David's uh, king, Jonathan's father, is going to kill him, and David needs to he needs to flee, and so he goes just a couple miles away to Nob. Now, if you go back to chapter four, there was a city called Shiloh, and this was known as the city of priests, and the Philistines came and decimated them. Well, that city kind of rebuilt itself, but it wasn't in Shiloh. It was it was in Nob, and it was uh, became it became known as a uh, a religious center, um, a place of worship, and the priests gathered there. And so Ahimelech, he is the priest in this case here, and he came to meet David trembling. Now that word trembling, we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. So we'll remember it, and said to him. Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. I love that. Very specific. Such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is there. I love it. It starts out like, hey, here's what's going on and we're in a such and such place. Oh, by the way, I need five loaves of bread. Or whatever you got in your cabinet, I'll take whatever. Like he just, he's unsure where his life is headed at this point. First thing we see, if you are running scared, if you're running from God, if you're running scared, It makes you abandon truth. It makes you abandon truth. Now, here's the key, and this sets up the whole chapter and our understanding of it. Like, if we get this wrong, then the rest of the sermon doesn't make much sense, right? And so we're at a crossroads for what the meaning is here. And it comes um, back in verse 2 when David says, The king has charged me with a matter, and then he explains the situation a little bit. So here's the key. What king is he talking about? Because if he's talking about King Saul, we know, boom, David's lying. Because David uh, did not get told that by Saul. If you read, obviously, the chapters before this, you see, yeah, Saul ain't telling him to do that. Saul wants to kill him. If they're even around each other, it ain't going to be, hey, David, go hang out and take a vacation somewhere. No, it's going to be, I'm going to kill you. So if it's King Saul, David's lying. He's a liar. If, though, the king is different, if it's God... And some of the commentators, would, some scholars would say, well, throughout the Psalms, David, uh, several places, calls God king. So that's not unlikely of him. Maybe he's just saying the king, the Lord, has sent me somewhere. Then all of a sudden, this isn't David lying. This is David on a special mission from God. And so this crossroads changes the understanding of the rest of the passage. I would say uh, that, because you know my my scholarly opinion is, is so powerful, I would say, based on context, And many scholars would agree that David is lying. Um, And we could mention a whole bunch of reasons, but I'll just rifle off a few. Number one, uh, we know, context-wise, Saul, like I just mentioned, is not giving him instructions on what to do. Saul wants to kill him. Everyone knows David is fleeing from Saul. Um, But on top of that, we also know that the previous chapter, in chapter 20, David and Jonathan were making up a lie to tell Saul at this fe- that the, the feast, the festival that they had uh, of new moons. So we know, previous chapter, David is a liar. Um, and then, last but not least, by the time this chapter's over, you're going to see his situation gets worse. gets crazier. And he's obviously running from Saul. He's making uh, things up. He doesn't know where he's headed. So the context would say that David more than likely is lying. Now, here's the thing. In order to live a scared life, in order to run from the Lord and his plan, you've got to abandon truth. You've got to abandon truth. Because what Jesus tells us, now this is on this side of the cross, but even the word of God as a whole, what we see in the word of God about our identity, about the promises he has for us, about truth, is more than enough to give you peace and security in anything you will ever go through. So, like, if you're going to be in a place where you're insecure it means you're finding your security in the wrong things. If you're in a place where you're unsure, where you're fearing man, it means you had to abandon truth from God. Some people just don't know that truth to begin with. Others, the church here, has to willingly say, you know what, I know what God says about this situation, but I'm just going to let fear take me on a roller coaster. You've got to abandon that truth. You see, David... He knows he's going to be king. Several chapters earlier, he was told, he was picked out, Samuel anointed him. He is well aware of God's plan for him, and yet he's thinking that he's going to die. So David's abandoning truth because he knows, hey, if God said I'm going to be king, that must mean I'm not going to die by Saul's hand, and yet he's still running from Saul. Because when it comes from the Lord, his word is as good uh, in the moment As it is years from now, even if it takes years to fulfill that promise, his word is his word. Have you ever known God's word (laughs) for a particular situation in your life, but really struggled to believe it, to live it in the moment? I think we've all been there before. Uh, My son is there every day of his life, even at two. And you guys know I I tell stories on him, but I think that his little life is is such a a great representation of what we experience spiritually all the time. You see, uh, we we discipline him and he knows what um what most of the no-nos in our house are and he he knows that if he does these certain things that are disobedient he knows because we talk about it all the time relentlessly we talk about it uh, you say Silas you, you you're going to get a little spank, buddy, if you, if you do that. Or your finger's going to get flipped. You know that's disobedient. And so he knows these things. We talk about them all the time. But he oftentimes, um, this is like a daily thing, he will be in the midst of his sin, and he knows the punishment's coming. And we'll say this, we'll say, Silas, buddy, come on over here and, and get your spank. You know that's such a welcoming invitation. Come, you, know, you know that you were disobedient, come get your spank. And he's got a split-second decision to make. In that moment, where he's feeling pain, heartache, that he knows he's going to get spanked, but he's also going to get physical pain in in a second. In the crossroads of truth and pain, he, like we do, have a decision to make. And I can't tell you how many times. It's like nine out of ten times he will look at us and then, boom, shoot out the door and just run as if like he could somehow get out of what's about to go down. But he knows he can't. He knows he can't do it. I think a lot of us... um, A lot of us abandon truth when we hit the crossroads of truth and pain because pain is so tangible. It's so real, is it not? We do it all the time. We let that pain override what we know is true from God's word. We say things like, you know, I I know I shouldn't date him or her. than what I got going right now we say well I know that I shouldn't just be looking for job opportunities or trying to move out of this city just for excitement but man I just feel like there's not much happening in my life and I know God's plan is bigger and I just i I'll be honest I want a little bit of adventure and some excitement I'm just not getting it right now I know I shouldn't just seek jobs for that purpose We do it all the time. I know I should give. God's telling me to give, but man, I don't want to lose that money. I know I should serve, but boy, that's going to be uncomfortable. You see, any time that we get to that place where we know what God is saying, but we feel the discomfort, we are at a crossroads. How many times do you ask someone that you love, someone that you know is going to give you godly advice, yet you know before you even ask them, and long before they give the answer, you already know the answer. You're really just looking for a way out. You're, you're hoping that God somehow changed his mind as to what he was telling you to do. It's just uncomfortable to do what he's actually asking you to do. But we know, we know um, that we don't take the easy road. You can't, you can't be an easy road mindset guy or gal and follow Jesus. It just doesn't work. The easiness is his embrace, not uh, the decision in following him. And so for David, you see, there's a tension. There's a tension because there's time between God's promise for his life and the reality of that promise. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, do we not? Abraham, hey, you're going to be over many nations. It's going to be great. You're going to have kids. Great one. Years and years and years before his wife has the baby. All throughout the Old Testament, you see over and over and over, hey, going to go to the promised land. After 400 years in slavery, and then you're going to go to the desert for a while, and then, hey, this whole generation is going to have to die before you actually get into the promised land because they were rebellious. Uh, over, the, the separation and the tension and the faith required between the promise and the reality of the promise is huge. But the church, <laughs> you and me, on this side of the cross, the vast majority of the promises you and I need to live every day have already been fulfilled. They are spiritual reality. We don't have the same tension most of the time, outside of Jesus coming back again, we are not waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. They are spiritual realities, and you and I got to decide, are we going to walk in the truth even when the pain is tangibly more overwhelming? But we know what's right. We're gonna have to, if we're going to run from God, we're going to have to abandon what we know is right. It's going to be messy. But the easy way is not the better way. The easy way is not the better way. Verse 4. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. And the vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. Now how much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Second thing we see, if you're going to run scared, it's going to make you compromise. If you're going to run scared, it is going to make you compromise. See, we got someone else running scared. David's running scared, so he goes to Ahimelech, and then this priest, Ahimelech, he's now running scared. Remember earlier when I said to pay attention to the word trembling? He knew when he saw David, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, because he knows his past. You see, Ahimelech, the priest, his great-granddad is a priest named Eli, and if you remember at the beginning of 1 Samuel, Eli's sons were wicked, and they had this whole thing with... with, um, with sin and immorality, and then Hannah, and then, of course, Samuel's Hannah's uh, son, and and we see the story unfold, but this dude is familiar with David and Saul and all that is going on, and he trembles when he sees David. I don't know if it's because he knows David's past as a warrior, or if Saul um, is going to come kill him, and he's going to be in danger, but for whatever reason, he is fearful of David, and so He compromises. He does what he shouldn't do. You see, there was um, 12 loaves of bread that would be put before the altar of God in this Yahwistic worship center that is Nob. And these priests on the Sabbath, uh, so this would be Saturday in the Old Testament, they would come and they would remove this bread. Now, the bread was only to be eaten by priests. And so he says there's no common bread, meaning I ain't got no bread in my pantry. We just eat what's from the altar, but we don't give this to normal people. But then, you know, he's fearing. Right. He's fearing David. And so he's thinking, um, but, you know, we'll give it to you. Hey, have you guys kept clean? Because there's a whole list of ceremonial cleanliness laws that they would have had to follow things like don't touch dead body and and all kinds of things. But he only asks one. Right. He only asks, "Uh, what about women? And David's like, yeah, we ain't got no women. Ain't no women there. Ain't no women there. We're doing pretty good. And, and he sounds righteous and saying, well, we don't we don't mess with ladies anyhow when we're on a mission. And so even this, I mean, this is super spiritual what I'm doing now. So we really didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, <laughs> great, you you just passed the quiz. One question quiz. OK, now I'm going to steal from God and, and give to you. And It's just like, oh, my gosh, what are you guys doing? This is not the way it was supposed to be not the way it was supposed to be. Now, I will will say this, that there was some leniency in the case of starvation for priests to give bread to those who were literally starving. Um, But there's also a difference between giving him one loaf and five, right? Or 12 or however much he ends up giving him. And so you see that he compromises. He compromises. Have you ever compromised on things that are important? We say all the time, people say all the time, hey, regardless of what situation you're in, don't compromise your beliefs. Don't compromise your beliefs. That's important, right? We live in America, 2016. Things are crazy. The culture is up and down. We say, don't compromise what you believe. But I'll tell you what, I think Christians, the issue is not compromising what we believe. I think day in and day out, when we'll go years this way, we compromise what we experience with God more than what we believe in God. We believe things. And that doesn't always change, but our experience, uh, we tend to settle for less, even though God has promised us some beautiful spiritual blessings in Christ. This isn't a materialistic thing. This isn't, hey, cash in on God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual blessings. I, um, maybe, maybe this will make sense. This is odd. Um, I got drive-through issues. Now, let me explain that. Early in marriage, and I didn't know I was jacked up until, until I met Tara. When, you <laughs> when you're with someone who's better than you, you realize how much you stink in a lot of different ways. It just, um, it just happens. And, and all the guys know what I'm talking about there. The first few years of our marriage, on a regular basis, when we would drive through a drive-thru, doesn't matter if it's McDonald's or some place that we weren't familiar with, whatever, when we'd go through the drive through I would become a different person. <laughs> like, I can't, there's a, <coughs> Spirit's going to have to speak to us on this, because I, some, I know you're not going to relate, some of you, there's a pressure that you put on yourself to make the order quick for the sake of not holding up the line and causing trouble, like it's a, it's a well-oiled machine in your mind, and you're just a piece, right, And and you, and so some people though, they don't think that, they think, no, I'm paying money. I'm going to order what I want. And even though I've got 15 kids and 400 orders, I could go inside. Do, no, I'm going to hold up the line. We're just going to do this slow. And I'm like, this isn't fast food. You don't understand. <laughs> it's fast for You don't understand how this works. And so I, I just kind of, I, I panic a little bit. And at first Tara didn't know what was going on, but when I would order the food and I'd get a drink that I didn't want, or I would order a hamburger that I'm like, "I don't even I don't want that one, and I didn't order it I hate the cheese that comes on it, it's so thick. I didn't want that. And so we would leave, and we'd get out, even just like feet from where we picked up our food, and I would just do this number in the back of the seat, and she'd say, "What? What's going on?" I'd just be scratching my noggin like a cat on the back of her head, and I'd be like, just a little irritated at myself. she's like, "What is it? Whats wrong with you?" And I'm like, "You don't understand. I didn't get what I wanted. I don't want this." <laughs> and, she, and she would psychoanalyze me for a second and say, baby, what's wrong? You know, why, why didn't you just order what you wanted? But because there's a pressure, and, <laughs> and I didn't get a look at the menu the amount of time, so I just ordered something quick for the sake of getting things rolling. And not only that, but I put pressure on whoever's in the car with me. If you're going to order, you need to know what you're doing, otherwise we can go inside and we're gonna let's do this quick. And so I'm I'm a mean, I'm a grumpy old bear, and I it's just not pleasant. It took years for us to work through this. It took years for me to get, okay, deep breath. Th- I can take a look at the menu, I can enjoy myself. You see, here's the deal. I believe, I believe that I have the right to order whatever food I want. But because I fear holding up the process, and ultimately I fear confrontation and awkwardness, and I fear people, I, if you really going to get down to it, then I put an undue pressure on me that makes me compromise, so I believe I got the right to order whatever I want, but I settle for something that I don't really want, and it just happens all the time. It happens all the time. You see, ultimately, to run scared from God is to settle for less. Because number one, you're settling for a lesser God, and you're settling ultimately for a lesser plan. And that's what makes it so sick when we're doing things. Like inside, you you feel nasty, you feel horrible. You know when you're settling for a lesser plan in life. When you're with the wrong people, when you're working the wrong job, when you're doing things that you know God said, "Ah, I want you over here, but you're just like, ah, the easy road and the more tempting road and the more desirable road for me is here, and you're in the middle of it, and you're like, I can't enjoy this. I can't enjoy this. You get to a point in life where you know, hey, you know, uh, it is better to follow God's will, even if it means it costs you everything, than to do even the slightest thing that you want to do because it'll be miserable doing it. It'll be miserable doing it because you know it's a lesser plan and you know you're serving a lesser God yourself. So you trade peace for turmoil. Let me just ask you. I'm going to assume that most of us know the promises we have in Scripture through the good news of Jesus, that we know the peace, we know the joy, we know the comfort, we know the security, we know the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. Does that sum up your life right now and your actual experience? Like if, if someone, that most of your friends might say, yeah, I know that what they believe, I know they're a Christian, but would they call you someone who's got a supernatural joy? Would they say, they got a supernatural peace? They say, man, I know they're not just going to church for religious, rule, observing, ritualistic reasons. Like, I know that, like, they got something, they got something special. I want what they have. Would that sum you up? No. For most of us, it probably wouldn't. Because we believe that we have the right to those spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. But we settle for less. And some of us will go our entire lives, unfortunately, hearing the good news of Jesus and believing it, but never really experiencing much of it. But things can change. But when you're running scared, it makes you compromise. You see, here's the thing. What David runs from, Jesus runs to. David says, I fear man, and I don't want to be killed by Saul. Jesus says, I created man, and I'm coming to earth, and I know who's going to kill me, but I'm willingly letting them kill me for the sake of freedom for everyone who believes. David finds his comfort in physical bread. Jesus says, I got bread that's better than that kind of bread. And that is, in a nutshell, the difference between running scared and running to God and having your identity in him is when you settle for that lesser bread, when you settle for that lesser plan, for that lesser God, when you compromise, you know, you know it is not fulfilling. You know eating that bread is not going to ultimately satisfy you. You know that your life will be a series of ups and downs, trying to seek the next. Hey, this could make me. Hel- this could help me. Uh, this can fulfill me. This can. You know this. You would tell most of us in this room would tell our non-believing friends, "Hey, that's not going to satisfy you. Ultimately, that's not going to quench your thirst." And yet Jesus is looking at the church, saying, "I'm talking to some of y'all <laughs> that you say you believe, but you're finding." Yourselves going after the wrong stuff. Ultimately, you say, well, what's Jesus' bread? It's the very word that comes out of God's mouth. What's going to set you free? Truth. Truth sets you free. Sets you free from fear of what? of ridicule, of humiliation, of a bad reputation, of people thinking bad about you, of condemnation from others, of you finding your identity in what people say about you and what they view you as and who they say you are, in the things that you own. God's saying you can find your identity safely and securely in me and what I did for you and who I created you to be and who I say you are. And anything less will never quench the thirst Or satisfy the hunger. And that message is not just for unbelievers. It's for all the Christians who know it and believe it but aren't experiencing it. Verse 7. So running scared makes you abandon truth, it makes you compromise. We see in verse 7 now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So that that'll be that'll be key later on, especially next week. Then David said to Ahimelech, "Then have you not here a spe- a spear?" Or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me. It gives a warrior great credibility when you're not armed. Because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, if you will take that, then take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that give it to me. Third thing we see, if you're going to run scared, it's going to make you paranoid. It's going to make you paranoid. So, David uh, sees a couple things that are going to make him paranoid. Number one, he sees this dude named Doeg, and he later on in chapter 22, we'll see next week, will rat him out. So this is an Edomite, and he is somehow in bondage to Saul, serving as his chief herdsman. Maybe Saul, um, because Saul, when when they fought, they didn't just fight against the Philistines, but they they beat up the Edomites. So he took him maybe as a prisoner of war. Somehow he was of service to Saul. So this guy is alive and well in Saul's kingdom, and and he's going to rat David out later on. David sees that. It's like, oh no, you know, you know when you're somewhere and you see people you don't want to see? You're just like, oh gosh, I was enjoying life today and now I've got a pit in my stomach. This is not fun at all. It's just unpleasant. Unpleasant. But on top of that, after getting the food from the priest, David's like, hey, I need I need some weapons. I need some weapons. I saw someone I don't want to see. I need a fight. Like he's preparing for a fight that he don't even know is gonna occur. He's just paranoid, and so he's arming himself for battle, right? He's arming himself for battle. This is, the, this is the interesting thing, is he gets the the sword that Goliath had, assuming that David gave this for um, the priest as, as safekeeping, said, we'll give it to you, but again, tradition says, if you, in the Jewish culture, if you gave it to them, you are the only one who could actually take it back. Now, here's the irony, David... <laughs> David was in a real fight against Goliath, who was much bigger and scarier than Saul, and yet he took him down with a few stones because he knew that was the Lord's plan and he was safe and secure in his identity and who God was. And now, not too long later, he is going after a much bigger sword for a lesser battle. That's the irony of this whole thing, is to run from God. We do it because it seems like the easy way out, yet it is exhausting, is it not? Because you got to keep it up and it never ends unless you submit, unless you submit. You see, that's the thing. When you find your identity, when you find your value, your worth in things other than God, whether it be people, whether it be things, you know, because in and of themselves, they are broken and they can't ultimately fulfill you. You know, there's going to be ups and downs, right? And so you live a life of paranoia. You say, hey, I feel great right now. I'm in a healthy relationship. I've, I've been looking for someone to love, and now we're in this relationship. But, and then the what ifs come in. But, even though this is great, what if they leave me? What if I'm not good enough at some point? What if things go south? You say, man, I am oh, I'm living the, the job of my dreams. It's a career that I always dreamed of. It is great. I find fulfillment in it. And then the economy goes south, and you start thinking to yourself, what if? What if I lose that job? I work 60 hours a week. What would I even do if I lost that job? All my friends are because of that job. My life, like our lifestyle is obviously because of that job. Funded by what would we do? What would I do? And then you find yourself ruled not only by paranoia, but what ifs, what ifs. You see, when you fear man, you're always looking over your shoulder. There's no, there's no safety. There's no security. You're always looking over your shoulder. And I believe that a lot of us in the church, a lot of us walk around Feeling pretty good, 70, 80, 90% of our lives feel pretty solid. We're growing in the Lord, and we keep a hold. Even some of those who seem like up-and-coming leaders, they, they seem like, man, God is moving and really growing in their life. I think a lot of us, we keep silent strongholds in our lives. Things that have just enough grip on our heart that in the past ruled us, but now they influence maybe just a smidgen, but not much, right? But they have just enough, and we keep that hope going, and we keep the flame lit, and the enemy's looking at you like, (laughs) I know what you've struggled with in the past. I know your issues. I know your temptations. And you got all these little idols around you that right now, they're not rearing their ugly head, but once in a while, I'm going to come, I'm going to fan it into flame, and it's going to overtake you. You say, I ain't got no silent strongholds. You ended that relationship, Right? With that guy or that gal because you knew God didn't want you in that thing. It was unhealthy and it just wasn't going the way he wanted. And you say, yep, that's right. <laughs> you know, that's right. I'm not, I would not get back into that. That was a mistake. Until it's Friday night at 10 o'clock and you're lonely. And you get a text message that simply says, how's it going? been thinking about you. And in a heartbeat, whoo, it wasn't an issue five minutes ago. And you wouldn't have said it was an idol five minutes ago, but it was a silent stronghold that just got fanned into flame. And now you're thinking to yourself for a split second, you're like, ooh, maybe they're not that bad. Maybe they've changed. Maybe this is a redemption story. And yet all your friends would say, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You say, you know what? I know God brought me here. I know he's, he's got me serving him. Things are good. Um, I'm not I'm not just gonna chase jobs or careers because they're exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, do- I'm I'm planted here and I'm just doing what God would have me do. Until you're scouring the internet late at night and you see some job opportunities in the middle of Colorado and you're thinking, now Colorado <laughs> for a single person, for an empty nester, let's just get up and move. Let's like. Work, why vacation? This is this is okay. All of a sudden, whew, the enemy knows what's going to get you. You say, but well, I don't I don't struggle much with pride anymore. Maybe when I was a younger person, until you get that compliment from someone you didn't expect the compliment from, a coworker, a boss, a family friend, you're like, hmm, maybe I am somebody. Huh, maybe I am somebody. And the devil knows what your silent strongholds are. Because here's the thing, and I'll say it again, like I said at the beginning, there's a big difference between letting pain, strongholds, issues that need healing, deep-rooted issues, there's a big difference between letting that dissipate, the pain dissipate, the relationship end and kind of fade, the temptation to go away for a while dissipate, and you actually finding healing by applying the truth of God to it in the moment. You got to attack it. This is, we're we're not passive in our faith. We're actively taking the word of God and the armor of God and saying, you know what? I struggle with pride. I'm not just going to get through this and go on until someone compliments me in a few weeks and then I'm like, my heart's going to struggle. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not the king of my own life. I am not, (laughs) I am not defined by who compliments me and who criticizes me. So right now in this moment, instead of enjoying the pride for a split second, I know what God's word says. And it says, I should not be finding my hope in what they just said. Hey, thanks for the compliment. I'm rooted in Christ. You can go apply that to every single thing we said and, and then some. You've got to take the word of God and you've got to apply it in the moment. Otherwise, it stays a silent stronghold. My little boy, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but I could talk about my son all day. My little boy, he's got some silent strongholds. You don't even know it. Two and a half years old. Since Since I can't, Remember, his whole life, he has been scared to death of the vacuum. Like it is a monster to him he freaks out when Tara is running the ba- vacuum or when I am. And, and he's just like, oh, vacuum. And he, he has like coping mechanisms where he'll, he'll shut the door. He'll say, stay in that room, please. He'll shut the door. And then he'll go like watch TV and like zone out for a split second. And I mean, he, he has his things. We've walked through him said, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. You can touch it. He won't touch it. He'll just stand back. He'll cry. It just He's just terrified of it. And I've even brought him down and said, okay, let's get down. And I, I got done Indian style. Um, and I've taken the vacuum apart and said, see, here's the pieces. He loves to learn about what's, what's happening. Where does the air come? Where does it go? He's, just, he's a little mechanical engineer. And he loves to learn. And so I got him to get up and touch it. And everything. I'm thinking, he'd break it. I'm telling "There, bondage breaker. This is like, this is great. He's, he's, he's healing. Like, he's getting comfortable with it. And then today at lunch. He, uh, he ate lunch, and he did what little boys who eat big lunches do. And I was like, uh-oh, i got to change his diaper. So let's get down. Let's change the diaper. And so I said, find a place on the floor, buddy. And, and so he gets down on the floor, and right when I start changing his diaper, and it's, it's a messy situation, right when I start changing him, Tara in the other room kicks on the vacuum. And he spins around. He, he does this number. He's laying on the ground, but he spins. And he's like, no, no. He said, Daddy, carry me. Take me somewhere else. And I was like... Oh, buddy, it's okay. Now he, and he's starting to flail a little bit. I'm like, Silas, I got your diaper undone. This is a messy situation, buddy. Stop it. And he's just squirming and he's freaking out. And I can tell all of a sudden something that he hadn't really ever dealt with in his little two-year-old life is now obviously tearing him apart. And finally, I just grab his little leg and, and I, I look at him and I say, Silas, look at me, buddy. Look, look at Daddy. Look me in the eyes, because he wasn't looking in the eyes. He's looking at his vacuum that he couldn't even see, but he just heard the noise. He's looking back, and finally he he locked eyes, and I said, "Look at me, Silas, buddy. I love you. I know you're scared, but whatever you're scared of, Daddy is bigger. Daddy's gonna protect you. Do you believe me, buddy?" And he's looking at me in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay, Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you." You see, when you've got your eyes focused on what you fear, your eyes then can't be focused on the one whom you have faith in. And your fear will either grow based on your focus or your faith will grow based on your focus. But you got to shift it. Otherwise, it's going to get worse and you're going to be paranoid over and over and over. The what-ifs, the balls about to drop, will always be running through your mind you're finding your identity in things, you shouldn't. Last but not least, the last few verses. Now, this, is a, this, this shifts. So we're hanging out with the priest, and now it's going to get weird. Some of you guys, you love it because at some point in every sermon, it, it gets weird. First Samuel is a weird book, and, and I'm probably a weird preacher, so you got odds that things are going to get weird. Verse 10 says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So Gath is uh, a place in, Phili- in the Philistine country, so 20-some miles away. Like he, Remember, he kills Philistines. They hate the Philistines. Those are the arch enemies of the Israelites, and that's where he's going? It's crazy. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? So kind of correct. He's not king yet, but they know enough about him to know kind of what's going on. And did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Remember, that's what Saul's jealousy got riled up about because the people loved David as a warrior more than him. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his, I love this, and let his spittle run down his beard. You ever had spittle run down your beard before? All right. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And we see, start of chapter 22, that he flees from here. He's gone. Last thing we see, if you run scared, it's going to either drive you crazy or drive you to the cross. (laughs) It's either going to drive you crazy or drive you to the cross. Now, David, he's got fear issues, and they go unaddressed, and it gets worse. It gets worse. So he goes in front of this king in a land where he should have his army because this is their arch enemy. And he's put himself in this vulnerable position because he fears getting killed by Saul. So what? Now he's going to get killed by the Philistines? And he realizes at the last moment, gosh, I'm just making horrible decisions in my life. And I need to do something crazy. And he literally becomes crazy. He's making marks on doors. He's letting spit run down like he's just, he's like, I ain't got no other options. I'm just going to be a a madman. And the Philistine king is like, you're weird. There's a lot of weird people. Later on, we would see, of course, Goliath was from Gath. He was a big, tall dude, crazy height. There's another dude we're going to see in in a few chapters, uh, actually in 2 Samuel, who had 24 digits, had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. Just weird people there. The king's like, I don't need any more weirdos. I don't need any more weirdos. And David's like, okay, he's going to take off. You see, when you have identity issues, when you are running scared and it goes unaddressed, there's a good chance it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. I see people uh, in college, I see young ladies in college uh, who have people-pleasing tendencies. Their schedules are overloaded. Their stress is through the roof because they can't say no to anyone. And right now, it's a struggle. But then I see mamas, seven, ten years out of college, who got two, three kids and never dealt with their people-pleasing tendencies. And now it's not a struggle. Now it's going to make you fall apart. Now it's going to break you. Because you couldn't keep it up back then. and You really can't keep it up now. Your issues are going to multiply if they go unaddressed, and I think some of us just get so comfortable. Well, I know that's a flaw of mine, or you know, it seems so innocent. Mm, it's not that big of a deal, and we've got to call each other out on it. We got to we got to help each other to deal with these issues. These are these are big deals. To fear man should not be taken lightly, and I'll be honest about going on a huge rant. Our Christian community just. Culturally, in America and throughout the world, we love and we actually exalt fear. Hey, I'm, uh, I don't want you to get hurt, so don't, don't go to public school. We fear it. Hey, I don't want you to be around the wrong crowd, so we'll just fear it. And we bottle ourselves up, forgetting that we're the light of the world. There are biblical reasons for you to homeschool kids. There's going to be biblical reasons for you to not let them hang around with the wrong people. But we look at fear of man as something good. It's a big deal. It's bad. I think some of us are setting ourselves up to either fall apart tonight or to fall at the feet of Jesus. And I think we've got a decision to make. Let me, let me do this before we're out of time. I want to read to you two passages and just let these kind of soak over you a little bit because this, this is mentioned, this, these five, six verses, they're mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. Jesus actually talks about this. If you remember, um, when he is, is hanging out and doing something on the Sabbath, um, in Matthew chapter 12, you'll also see it in Mark, it says this in Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat but when the pharisees saw it they said to him look your disciples are are doing what is not lawful to do on the sabbath and he said to them have you not read what david did when he was hungry and those who were with him how he entered the house of god and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priests so now it's referencing what we just read Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests, in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, meaning the priests work on the Sabbath, and yet God says, they're not breaking my law. I tell you, something greater, here is, I love this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, remember that was in 1 Samuel as well, you would know, you would not have condemned condemned. Keep that in mind. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what he's saying is simply, hey, God gave law, but God is bigger than his own law. And even if you seem to make mistakes in the moment, God can redeem it. God is bigger, and you would recognize if you truly knew the heart of God, you wouldn't be condemning God's people doing this for God. So then we see this. Chapter thirty-four of the Psalms. David writes this in and around the time where he he um, goes crazy. So, you want to know what's going on in David's mind? Let me just read this over you. And honestly, I could read I could have read this early on and not even preach the rest of the sermon. This just preaches to you. So let it wash over you a little bit. David again. Right. Psalm 34 says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, it says um, Akish. Akish was the specific king at the time. Abimelech was the royal name for uh, the Philistine priest. So don't let that trip you up. Or Philistine king. So that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. This is the same guy who in the moment is going crazy. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Again, you guys know the context. Let me say that again. I sought the Lord and he answered me from and delivered me from all my fears. Just read that over and over. And those who look at him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. And this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste, uh, is he not just speaking into your heart? For those of you struggling, your people pleasers. You're struggling with the fear of what people think about you, their judgment, their condemnation. David's just preaching to your heart. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So come, oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So this is all about fear, but not fearing man anymore. Fearing the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. So keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And listen to this. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of y'all, people pleasers, are you not crushed in spirit? Over and over and over. And many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones. Remember, this is the guy who's running because he thinks he's going to be killed by Saul. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That passage in Matthew the last verse, Jesus said, the "People of God, essentially, will not be condemned. You would not be condemning us if you really knew. And the last verse in Psalm 34 from the guy who goes through this David says, "We will not be condemned. We will t- those who seek the Lord who take a refuge in the Lord will not experience condemnation. Is that not ultimately what your heart fears in other people? That they're going to judge you, that they're going to condemn you, that their voice has a more uh, power and authority than God ever really gave it. And God says, "You seek Me, and you don't have to fear what you feared in them. You don't have to fear what you feared in them. I'm a refuge. Listen, I don't know, I don't know what all you're going through tonight, but there's a clear crossroads for many of us." And you need to know you could have sat through church. Now this isn't me saying this. This isn't about my sermon. This is about the passage we just read. You can sit through church and it would, be, it would be accepted in many of our congregations for you to fear man and just live that way for life. But you're at a crossroads tonight. Are you finding your identity in Christ and Christ alone? Or are you letting the people around you dictate what you believe and what you experience god has a better way out jesus is the better bread jesus is the better way let's uh let's pray